0: All right, we are into our two of the program. It is Sportsnet today from the Doug Lacy's Basin Systems downtown studios. Alongside outstanding producers Cam and Taylor on this Monday. And look who happens to be back in the studio. If it ain't Pat Steinberg. Hi, Patty. Hey, buddy. He still has a pretty big hammer. Yesterday I saw beavers for the first time. I've...
1: Tonight it's the Falcons and the Buccaneers. That's funny. Mhm. Mhm.
0: Mhm. Mm-hmm. How was
1: Europe? Uh, it was uh, good. It was good.
0: It was good. good. It's
1: good to be back. It's good uh, to have you back. It was, uh, it was fun. It was a fun trip. It was a weird trip. It was a good trip. Uh. It was a long trip, dude. 16 days on your own. Whew. Uh, but yeah, it was good. It was good. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to be back. Well, we're so, glad to have you back. It's good to be back. It's sure. been
0: uh, it's been a couple weeks. Back doing some sports today with us. We've we'll got the Shaw Charity Classic on tap this week. You mean you're going to be out there a couple times. And the return of Flames Talk this afternoon as yeah. well. So the summer hiatus. You're going to go on break again, aren't you? One more
1: more week, and then after after
0: Labor Day, uh, we're back in it. Balls to the wall. Ball to the wall. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, again, all of our guests joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports our guest hotline at John Hodge on an hour one, chatting all things CFL. That podcast will be up shortly wherever you get your favorite podcast: Google, Amazon, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. Well, Pat, why don't we catch up on some of the things... Uh, we've missed you for him the last couple of weeks. Sure. First things first, and I know you could probably get into this more with Vickers on Flames Talk, but I remember asking you on your last day before you left, hey, do you think there'll be any moves by the time you get back? What did I say? I think he said one. I think there's gonna be you should at least one by nope. the time you came back. No? No. Nope. No, no.
1: I'm saying no there wasn't. Oh any no, moves. there
0: wasn't any moves. Nope. nope. Nothing happened. It's been very quiet. Sam Hansig Yeah, there's like I I, I I gotta be
1: honest with you. I was pretty uh I was pretty disconnected. Uh especially the last three weeks or so. Since getting since getting back on this side of the planet, I uh I've been a little bit more dialed in, but a few like what they they announced the the Kiprasoff retirement. They hired an American League coach. They signed Sam Hanzek. Those are yep. kind of the the three more or most significant decisions or most significant moves, at least from a a Flame standpoint. It's funny. I paid way more attention to the CFL than I did
0: anything <laughs> else. Just because
1: just because I was still writing over there. I was still doing yeah. my. I mean, like it's it's fun. Like I enjoy because I what the I was over there and especially in Paris and Berlin. I was there for like an extended period of time. So when you're by yourself, it's cool to just kind of go find a cafe and pretend you're a local and <laughs> write an article there. I, uh, uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. So uh, I've been way more dialed on the Stampeders and, and the CFL than anything flames wise, but that's because there's been nothing to there be dialed in anything to, on the flames.
0: to dial into. You pretty much went through it all there and while well, it all has repercussions and they all have, you know, <laughs> Outcomes. It'll be cool to see Kipper's night happen against Pittsburgh. Trent calls obviously a, a big hire to replace Mitch Love. Getting Hanzik signed is is an interesting one, and as our pal Ryan Pikes mentioned, it's an interesting one because it can technically slide twice if Hanzik is under ten games the next two seasons. Yes. So that's an interesting piece of news to watch for as well. Basically, but-
1: they, they could have him on this deal for five years. Yeah. Uh, the, the one that's most significant is next season. So 2024-25, because he could play in the American League all year that year or most of the year. As long as he plays less than 10 NHL games, he would get four years of an entry-level deal in pro hockey, which is a nice option to have. Now, if you're the Flames, you're probably far more interested in him um playing in the nhl if if possible like i think you'd rather him be playing and and you're like oh well it's only we we don't get to take advantage of that that means that he's good enough to be playing at the highest level but it's a it's a nice option to have and it was a no-brainer like they had until i think mid-december or something to sign him to his deal and still get the benefit of that of that entry-level slide so it's it's good they did it's uh it's always nice to have that in your back pocket if you need it i think they, they they had that happen with Rasmus Anderson I believe he uh had his entry level contract slide a year a couple of other guys have been uh privy to the same benefit of the late birthday and signing while still uh signing still well in the same year that you were drafted
0: yeah so good good work by the Calgary Flames we still await you know the the Noah Hannafin situation we're still waiting on word from Elias Lindholm uh you know training camp's getting closer for this team but i mean Still got a couple weeks of August to go before we're talking about anything in in, you know, terms of, of, of going into training camp and have, having guys there and, and talking about that storyline. So it'll be interesting to see. Like we said, still got time for Craig Conroy and the Flames to have something happen. I, I wondered, I think you were probably back in for the in um North America for the Eric Carlson trade. Uh, nope, nope. No, I was still-
1: uh, I was in Germany. I okay. uh, I remember I was uh, I was in Berlin at the time when uh, when they made that deal because it kind of I remember because you're eight hours ahead, so it was in the afternoon. You get something from Friedman, and it was hey, I think that there's something happening today, and then a few hours later, it was done. I, uh, I that was that's really the the biggest piece of news all off season anywhere in the league. It has been quiet everywhere in the NHL.
0: Well, and that sort of led us to the last couple of days uh, after the Carlson trade to you know wonder about if that was something that was holding up the rest of the league. That hasn't been the point, hasn't been the case as of yet. I'm curious if that's still how some people see it now that the Carlson trade has sort of. Leveled out, and you knew he was in talks with a couple different teams. Carolina, Toronto, were some of the teams that he named as organizations he had talked to about getting traded to uh, from San Jose. So you wonder: are those teams that are still looking to to add this offseason Are there others that have sort of been lurking around? Because you're right, there hasn't been a lot of movement, and part of that's a, a weak free agent class that we've talked a lot about. But part of it is there's just not a lot of salary cap space to go around for for any team Boston loses Bergeron and yep. today Krejci. And because they were on such sweetheart deals still only walked out of it with like $400,000 in cap space. There's just not a lot to to go around for guys when in terms of, of money. So I'm curious to see, uh, they moved out a big contract in Carlson, but how many other teams even have the money to go out and do something even if they wanted to?
1: Well, I know, uh, just, uh, having using started using my phone again, since being back the last three or four days, just even, even talking to people flames wise. And I know there's a lot of talk about, well, why the hell haven't they done anything yet? It's what August 14th. And they still haven't traded Hannafin or Lindholm or what, what, what is happening? What is Conroy just sitting on his ass and doing nothing? <laughs> well, I, I think a couple of things, first of all, I think that yeah, the, the cap space situation we all knew it was going to go up a million bucks. Like we all knew it it was trending that way going into the draft. And then I don't think it was a, uh, I don't think it was a surprise when we found out that it was only going up a million, but it still has really held up a lot. Like for instance, like look at what trees got to do in Toronto. Toronto is like, they're, they're probably, they 're probably behind closed doors, working fifteen hours a day, trying to grind on their cap and they still have work to do, even with the Matt Murray situation and all that type of stuff like the, the, there are so many teams that, as of right now, are faced with a situation that you know they probably couldn 't just ice the roster an ideal roster and be cap compliant come early October for the start of the season. So I think that when you have in the flame situation where everybody knows that they've got some decisions to make and everybody knows that Noah Hannafin doesn't want to be back beyond his contract. And, you know, Lindholm's making his decision. They've got all these guys in expiring contracts when you have basically a flat cap again, and you've got a situation where you've got a rookie GM and everybody knows the scenario. I don't think the offers have been anywhere near where the Flames want them to be. I, I think that you know that was the that was the conversation going back to the draft. The draft was almost two months ago, and the conversation in Nashville was that the offers are underwhelming, and I don't think that's changed all that much. I I think that the one. From what I, I I still believe they're grinding on Hannafin. I still believe that they are working hard on that. And I still believe that, you know, of the, of all of them that have like the biggest chance of getting done before the season starts, I still think it's Hannafin. And, and I don't think like there has been any let up or any, nah, we'll wash our hands of this and what, I still think they're working, but I also think the offers have been underwhelming throughout, which is why on August 14th, Noah remains a member of the Calgary Flames.
0: Well, let's put it this way. Cap-friendly lists right now 12 teams that are over the salary cap. Now, that's before LTIR candidates get added on, and you can be 10% over the cap in the off season before rosters get submitted. So that's 12 teams right yep. now yep. that do not have any cap space and are technically over and would have to make moves to adjust their roster. Add in... Uh, Kings, Blues, Bruins, Sins, Hurricanes, and Kraken as teams that cap-friendly lists with under a million dollars in cap space to their names today. That's half the league that has a million dollars or less as of right now to spend on anything. Free agents, re-signings, RFAs, trades, anything. So then you have to go down the list, especially if we want to have the Noel Hannafin conversation, okay, well, what teams are interested in Noah Hannafin, right? So half the league would have to have money out to make it happen, in some cases significant money out to make it happen. And are some of those teams teams that we would qualify as teams that need to add to their defense or want to add to their defense? The list can get pretty short at times for for options when you're looking at it from Craig Conrad's perspective because – Guess what? If you're the Anaheim Ducks or the Chicago Blackhawks and you're the two teams with double digit cap space right now, 26 year old defenseman probably doesn't fit into your rebuild plans as of right now that you're going to give up assets for. Well,
1: and I mean, why would they? Because I don't think Noah is all that interested in re-signing on a team like that, right? Like if you're Hannafin, you're now in the prime of your career and you've had a taste of the playoffs, you've won a playoff round, you've been, you know, you've been a part of something pretty exciting going back to the the last time they were in the playoffs. Like if you're him, you probably want to go and and be a be in a spot where you feel like you've got a chance to compete and be all around it and in the playoff conversation for a good chunk of time. And while he has no trade protection and he can't control where he's going to go, what he does control is where he signs next summer what he does control is where he's playing in the in the fall of 2024 because he'll have his pick of the litter when it comes to that and the good new, the good news for Calgary pretty much with everybody that we're talking about here whether it's Lindholm or Hannafin or anybody else is that whether it's in season if it comes to that and it feels like with at least a few of these guys it's going to come to that but in season, or even right now, in this weird kind of phony war period between the start of the between now and the start of training camp, they're really tradable contracts, right? And yep. I don't think the Flames would hesitate eating some salary to make it that much more palatable for a team to to bring them on, and and teams are. It'll ha- you have to do a whole lot more, a whole lot less gymnastics than like Pittsburgh had to do on the Carlson trade. If you're trading a Hannafin because his contract's under five million dollars, he's got a very, very easy contract to absorb. Much like you know, much like Lindholm does, who's got an even lesser contract or a lesser cap hit than Hannafin does. And Backlund's contract is palatable. Uh, Tanev and Zadorov have deals that are fairly easy to move here. So I think that I, I think that helps them. I think that makes it a little bit less of a hurdle or obstacle to make some of these moves right now when you combine cap space and the fact that everybody knows the situation the flames are in i think that that is leading to and maybe still a little bit of the whole like oh you're a rookie gm let's see what you got you add all those things into the conversation and one guy still determining what the hell he's going to do yeah you're probably going to get
0: some underwhelming
1: offers for a little bit
0: yeah the carlson one is an interesting one to bring up to me too because if that deal can get done, and how you know what was it a year and a half ago, we were probably talking about Eric Carlson being on a contract that could never move in the flat cap world,
1: and they only ate what a million and a half yep. of it. Like uh, it. like that, that is the part that stunned me the most. That San Jose only had to, of all the teams. I I don't. I'm not as down on what Pittsburgh has done as others. I I I'm curious as to what they're what they're going to look like and i don't know if i look at the penguins as any more of a cup threat now than they were before making the deal but like i don't hate it for them and they moved out a lot of dead weight to to get the deal done i love it for san jose because they got a first for carlson which i was not sure they were going to be able to do and they're only eating a million and a half of that deal that Looked really, really bad for the next number of years. So, of all the teams, and I thought Montreal looked like yeah, whatever. Montreal gets a little bit of kickback on it too. But I love it for San Jose. They they made out like bandits on that.
0: Yeah, it was interesting to hear from some people that, that thought it might have been a, a disappointing return that maybe Mike Greer didn't do enough to get assets out of Timo Meyer and, and Eric Carlson. And I was kind of with you. I I because I, I remember more than than others probably the conversations that we had not all that long ago about his time in San Jose when And look, good on Eric Carlson for turning it around and being a 100-point player, because that helps make the deal yeah, movable.
1: historic season <laughs> yeah. doesn't hurt you when you're trying to get yourself <laughs> to another spot. That
0: certainly helps. And but that, it, that
1: 87 guy who is enamored with you and wants you on his team doesn't hurt either.
0: Exactly. And when you have a team like Pittsburgh that you know is sort of forced into remaining competitive, I said this last week with Julian, if you're Pittsburgh and Washington, you're for, exactly you're forced into these situations with star players, right? You're not going to go down the road that Anaheim did with Corey Perry and Ryan Getzlaff. You're not going to go down the road that Chicago did with with uh, Kane and Taves, and you're going to try to maximize potential with these guys as long as you can. Would you rather be Pittsburgh and go out and get Eric Carlson the way that you did, or would you rather be Washington trying to remain a contender and give Tom Wilson? the kind of deal that he got, because I know which one I would rather do, and both of them are doing it in the name of, you know, preserving the legacy of a Crosby and a Malkin or an Ovechkin in Washington, and different ways are going to hurt in different contexts, but, you know, it's funny to see the similar situation, and you're right, if you can find a way, if you can get creative enough to find an Eric Carlson who still has, even with that retained salary, a $10 million cap hit, if you can still find a way to move that, you can't tell me that a Noah Hannafin or an Elias Lindholm or whoever 100%. can't find a way to get moved in this point of the offseason. Do you
1: believe that we're a week into uh, Crosby being 36 years old?
0: No, I really can't. That that whole thing is just...
1: And he's coming off an unbelievable well, one season. one of his best
0: years. If you're Kyle Dubas you, and you go in there, you're like, yeah, well, for sure we're going for this. That thing. was the
1: thing that I forgot the most, that when... Like I knew that Burke and Hextall weren't in Pittsburgh anymore, but I was th- as I was thinking about the Carlson deal, I was like, "Oh yeah, that's right. Dubis is the GM there. I, I like that." Well, he completely... named himself
0: the GM there. If you missed that, I remember that. he was searching for a GM when he got the president role there. I did miss that, yeah, but I just picked, kind of I
1: picked up on that
0: a yeah, couple of days yeah, ago. Yeah, he just kind of uh, slid it in there. We're, we're gonna make some ads to the hockey stuff, and I'm just gonna do the. GM. I am the GM now. <laughs> Just, I mean, why not when you just so you know when you
1: when you're the when you're the guy why not really solidify well, yourself What were they signed as the him guy? for
0: like 7 years or something? You think someone else was going to hire somebody else to make the key decisions?
1: Or if they were they'd just be the people who were like they they'd input it into the computer. You'd be There's the doll- file
0: worker for yeah. Kyle Dumas. You'd be yeah. a secretary at best. Yeah, so I've traded this guy for this guy. Uh, it's Small deal. You can announce it you? Can you, can
1: you uh, just put it into the computer? And I guess I don't feel like doing a news conference. Yeah, I, got, do this one I got today. dinner with my wife here's your, tonight. Can here's you, your talking points. Can
0: you call uh, Central Registry and just get this done for me? Yeah, yeah thanks. Exactly. Appreciate it. Uh, let's, we'll come back on the other side. I'm excited to chat some Stampeders football for you, yeah. with you, because obviously you've been keeping up with your Monday morning quarterback articles at CFL.ca. Um, disappointing season for the Calgary Stampeders. Week 10 was full of uh, I mean the quarterback storylines across the CFL right now. How about how about Wedley picking up
1: on like <laughs> Welcome back Patrick, your curse continues. You pick the Argos and the Stamps one, you pick the Stamps and the Lions one. Jeez. Like, Wedley, you are way too dialed in on the CFL.ca picks I make. <laughs> it's it's one of the fun. Wedley, get a life. Come on.
0: Yeah, come on Wedley. No, I love Jeez, it. Wedley. I mean I
1: mean, of, of everybody on the text line, I missed Wedley the most.
0: Really? Well,
1: that's he's nice. the most regular
0: texter we have. That's fair. And so. he's the most dialed in. He's polite, occasionally funny. We'll take him. He's. I think he's mo- funny most of the time. Yeah. Uh so disaster start to the year for the Calgary Stampeders. Edmonton still hasn't won a game while you were gone. In case you missed no, that, I did not. Shouldn't miss surprise that. you. Uh we'll also check in. Uh, Dumal give us a recap with a stamps report. Uh, what happened on Saturday in case you missed it in BC and uh, Taylor's still doing Jays reports. So you can get caught up on what was a very fun weekend for the Jays and Jose Bautista. That as sports today rolls on from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios for Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, Boeing foundation walls, crack foundation. We have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basementy. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Steinberg's back. Along with myself, Logan Gordon, Hour 2 continues next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. It was a disappointing performance for the Calgary Stampeders heading into BC, looking to gain some momentum after a big win over the Toronto Argonauts in Week 9. That momentum would be stuffed by Vernon Adams Jr. and the BC Lions. 37-9, your final score. Lions move to 7-2. and two. Stampeders fall to 3-6. and six with a big home game coming up against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Look back on Calgary's loss to the Lions on Saturday. Here's your Monday Stamps Report with Patrick Dumas. This, this is the Stamps Report with Patrick Dumas.
2: The Calgary Stampeders returned home after what was an absolute beatdown at the hands of the BC Lions on Saturday evening. They fell 37-9 to 9 to fall to 3-6. and 6. The Stamps have yet to put together two wins in a row and still sit fourth in the CFL's West Division. And for Coach Dickinson, it's all about staying together right now.
3: Uh, It was disappointing. Um, It was not our best and uh, a lot of things on there were real frustrating. Uh, we got to try to stay together and and hopefully keep chopping wood and uh, try to find some momentum in the second half of the year.
2: Penalties were also a big sticking point for Calgary as the club got charged with 12 for 140 yards, and a lot of those penalties came early and often, and with that, hardly any time to put together any momentum. Here's Dave on the penalties.
3: Penalties right away. You know, a lot of times penalties to me are you're uh, not quite as focused as you need to be uh, because a lot of times you're kind of behind the place, then you reach out and grab, and, uh, you know, was was it an egregious hold the first play? No, but you know it was, so then went out your first and 20, and we, we were offside on the very first kickoff. I mean, that's that kind of shows you that we weren't mentally focused and ready to play, and, and you could see that by the performance.
2: Four penalties in the first quarter, and the red and white were down 17 nothing after one quarter of play, and for an offense that has struggled to start this season, getting into a big deficit early is almost impossible to dig yourself out of. Quarterback Jake Mayer has had to deal with his Fair share of inconsistencies this season. Despite not turning the ball over, they did not have an offensive touchdown. The Stamps only have one offensive touchdown in their last three games. Coach Dave on Jake and how the playbook has been stuck in neutral because of these penalties.
3: Taking some steps, and then uh as a team, all of us came back to the, this game. So, and and Jake concluded. So, uh, fine. We got to do some different things. so We just can't keep doing the same things. We got to find other ways to. Try to to make plays, and uh, that's us. Our job as coaches. Playbooks there, we're just not executing it, and I think we're the ones making a ton of mistakes. Uh, you know, penalties is one thing as well, but uh, you know, we did have some mental errors, some some critical mental errors. Um, so, and it was a whole group. It really was. I thought the running back is was probably the one position that played, uh, I would guess, a standard, a higher standard than the rest. Um, And then I would say linebacker D-line played a solid game. But, you know, the rest of it, no, not good enough.
2: The Stampeders will continue their murderer's row of CFL opponents this week, welcoming the Winnipeg Blue Bombers to McMahon Stadium on Friday night for Legacy Night, where the team will honor the 1998 Grey Cup winning team. That team actually won the Grey Cup in Winnipeg. Monday is an off day, so Tuesday will be our first look at the club ahead of their Week 11 prep. With your Stampeders report. I'm Patrick Dumas. Thank you, Patty. Appreciate that. Yes, the Stampeders
0: and Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Week 10 action from McMahon Stadium, part of Legacy Night on Friday, August 18th, 7 p.m. kickoff. And it's going to be a challenge for the Stampeders, Patty. We <coughs> knew this August was going to be tough. Originally undefeated Argos to start it off. Into BC. Winnipeg again. and Now you've got Toronto on the other end of it. Uh, I know this. Performances like Saturday will only lead... To more losses for this team, they've got some things to figure out right now.
1: Oh, I mean, they. This is, and I, I'd, I'd really like to see them find some stride here in the second half of the season. But this is, this is as frustrating a as Stampeders team to watch in at least a decade, if yeah, not longer. Like probably. we're talking, we're talking about one of the longest playoff streaks in in pro sports right now. We're talking about uh, a team that has been consistently near the top of the CFL for most of the last two decades. Like when was the last time we can, I know that in 2021 when they played the 14 game season, they got off to a slow start, uh, but then they figured it out. Remember like they, Mm -hmm. they were, they were able to get things back on track. And so now like we're nine games into the year, they're halfway through their season. And we're talking about them having, or or looking at a record that could be their worst since like the early 2000s like the before years.
0: John Hofnagel came in in what 2008 yeah um
1: they were a below 500 team in the final year but they still made the playoffs the final year before huff took over and then huff took over and obviously they won the the, the great cup in year 1 in 2008 So we're talking about 15 years here since they've been looking at a below 500 record to start a year. And like even that 2021 year where they started off poorly, they still finished eight and six. So here they are three and six, nine games to go. And it's not like there's, they've got two against Edmonton. As we know, they've got that back to back, but before then they've got Winnipeg and Toronto um, they've got two with Edmonton. Then coming out of that two with Edmonton, they've got maybe their two biggest three biggest games of the year. That that three game stretch, I don't remember the order now off the top of my head. I guess I could use a computer and go look at it. Montreal, but those three games, Montreal, Hamilton, Hamilton Sask, buy then Sask, right?
0: Yeah. Buy after uh the Montreal game. If I'm getting this right. No, excuse me. Buy after Labor Day rematch. So week fifteen they're off. Yep. Then Montreal's in town, then into Hamilton by then a bye, then, then Sask in town.
1: So you've got the three teams that you're probably most closely because you're not catching BC or Winnipeg. or Winnipeg. So I think that we know Winnipeg, BC, Toronto. They have yet to lose consecutive games in a row. So I think that we've got a pretty good idea. The Lions, the Bombers, and and the Argos are where they are. I think Montreal has found their stride pretty nicely here. They've won three straight. So if you can start to pencil in Montreal as the two seed in the East, well then. You've got that Hamilton team that you're fighting with maybe for a crossover, and you've got Saskatchewan. And who the hell knows what they're going to look like as we go forward? They're in similar shambles to the Stampeders right now because we don't know what their quarterback situation is going to look like, and we don't know how that's all going to figure itself out. So those games against Sask and Hamilton specifically, and to a lesser extent, Montreal... Those are huge, and that that that's considering or or almost assuming that they win both games against the Elks, which they need to do.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, they, that is not unquestionable right now. I still think there is a talent gap between the Stampeders and the Elks, but I mean, if they play like they did on Saturday, there's also a them.
1: talent gap between the Bombers and the Elks, and Winnipeg trailed twenty-two nothing in that game.
0: Yeah, and Calgary's not built to come back the way they. I just I don't know what it is this year. I still. I still want to believe in, in Jake Mayer. I know it's it's been a frustrating start this season for him to, as the number one in Calgary, the true undisputed number one here in Calgary. And I, I think this offense has so many tools now. If you start talking about Mark and Michelle in there, if Marky Hambles can come in and be an important part of the team again, Kadeem Carey's back healthy. There's really no excuses for jake do i think he's gotten all the time in the world to to sit in the pocket and make decisions no he hasn't but he also hasn't done a good enough job of of pushing this offense down the field the dink and dunk offense the screen offense the swing pass it's it it has not resulted in enough results for this team resulted in results moron it hasn't uh, turned into (laughs) results for this team offensively um and he's got to start pushing the ball down the field more. You've got talented got Mark and Michelle in that game against Ottawa a few weeks ago in in Calgary proved to me he still got a yeah. lot of that talent that he had when he was in Calgary 4 years ago and spent 4 years in the NFL for a reason. But you gotta You've got to use him. You've yeah. got to use him. And he's not he's not built to to run across the middle and pay, you know that's Reggie Bagleton territory to to make yak yards and things happen. You've got to be able to Push the ball down. No, let you Martin want the Michelle field. to stretch the field, exactly. Right. So, yeah, it's just I can't. I'm with you. I can't remember a team that's been this disorganized, and I feel bad because in some situations, yeah, do I feel they need a better pass rush for sure? But James Vodders is hurt, and Jagaire Davis didn't pass. As and physical. I don't
1: think Vodders is coming back anytime soon, no. if at all.
0: No, I don't think so either. So, you know, some of it is there a legitimate reasoning for difficulty? Yeah, there is, but. I just I, I haven't seen them do this disorganized well, with penalties. I and... think
1: I think it's fair to point the finger at Jake a little bit because I don't see and this is not a knock, especially with rhymes out in BC. So if I take a look at the receiving core of the BC Lions and the receiving group of the Calgary Stampeders, I don't see a huge talent cap. I I like BC's group is great. And and I would still give the edge to them with Hatcher and and that like and 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 Hollins and even without Rhymes and he's on the sixth game they still are pretty stacked at receivers. Whitehead White Whitehead was dangerous even though he was not a huge part of the game plan. But you know you're talking about Bagleton and Michelle and Odom's Dukes returns and so you're like there's a there's a decent group of receivers and Kadim Carey comes back so yep. all of a sudden you've got a little bit more of a, a threat and a, and a nice kind of two headed monster at running back. Well, the difference is, take a look at the, the dynamic work that you saw from VA and how dynamic that offense looked because Adams was willing to, and look, they're different quarterbacks, I grant you that. Vernon Adams is one of the most explosive players in the league, but the way that he's able to move out of the pocket, the way that he's able to extend plays, and his willingness, pocket or otherwise, to stretch the field yeah. and trust his receivers And right now, I I love the term that Duma and uh, used, and and the way that Dave Dickinson explained it. How their playbook's a little stalled right now because there's, I I don't think the playbook is by design to just be short plays and Dinkin and Duncan downfield. You need it's similar to why Nick Arbuckle looked fine but only went four and three as a starter because there was not really a willingness to move the ball down the field well, and you push have, the ball down the field. You have to
0: stretch these DBs back cuz everybody just starts sitting on the small stuff and that's when it becomes even harder for guys to block up two or three guys that you thought were going to be pushing down the field. Well, he knows you're not going deep, right? He'll he'll leave a guy for the safety to cover because more times than not you're taking this the short option, the easy option. I think Jake has to do more with his feet. I'm not saying he's Vernon Adams Jr., I think the way you described it is, is right. He's not as explosive as VA, but I think he can do more with his feet. That's something we haven't seen a lot when Bull Levi Mitchell was the quarterback here in Calgary. That can be expanded on, and you have to be willing to take some risks. Now, are we talking about the same risks in, in overtime against Saskatchewan where we, we threw up a ball that probably shouldn't have gone there? Not necessarily that, but you have to keep that threat But in open. hindsight,
1: I'd, I'd rather him take that shot than not take that shot. The, the more I think about it. And I know the timing of that play was was suspect and it obviously ended to them. We're talking about the loss to Sask uh, at, at McMahon, at McMahon uh, that they lost in overtime. But in hindsight, watching what we've seen since, I kind of would rather see him take a couple of risks and rather him push it and make a couple of 50-50 plays as opposed to always making the you know, very risk-free 80-20 plays and only get you six yards. And and th- that, I, I think that there is room for him to be a little bit more audacious. There's, there's room for him to be a little bit more risky. I'm not talking about making silly plays, but he's got a strong enough arm that he doesn't need to just game nope. manage it down the field. I, 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 again, he's not Vernon Adams. He's not Zach Caleros. He's not the the super high-end dynamic quarterback. He's not Chad Kelly, who has been just out of his mind good, but he's still a guy that's got some arm strength and I believe can do more and be a little bit more explosive than he's been.
0: Okay, uh, some football news south of the border that I wanted to get to while I've got you, Patty. First, uh, some breaking news from Ian Rappaport of the NFL uh, Network. Ezekiel Elliott has a new home. Where's he going? He is a New England Patriot. Okay. Uh, a one-year deal worth up to $6 million after a successful free agent visit. Who uh, is going to rock number 15, his college number, apparently, and will join uh, Ramondre Stevenson in the backfield for the New England Patriots. So that's something to watch. The running back market, I don't know if you heard any of this while you were away, but uh, the Jets and Dalvin Cook seem destined to sign when Dalvin went to visit them a couple of weeks ago, that never happened. There's still a, a a good amount of talent out there in the free agent class for uh, NFL players that haven't signed up yet, and Zeke was one that we're waiting for, uh, and he signed with the New England Patriots. Cowboys host New England week four hmm. of the NFL season.
1: I'm, uh, I'm curious to see how that works, and I'm curious... I mean, I know that he was part of a timeshare last year, too, with Pollard, but I'm curious to see if... if because he still he still ended up 28. touching he's uh, only 28 he's only i I know which is like ancient in NFL running yeah, back terms but might as well be 50 um, he still he still touched it 231 times last year which is which he's he, he's not Zeke who's getting fed like he was in the first 3 or 4 years of his career but you know he still touched the ball a fair amount of times but if they can get that down a little bit more like if you can get if you can get Zeke's touches under 200 what does he look like i'd be really curious to see if if he's and I guess he he was part of a tandem but if it's even if it's even less of a tandem and he 60
0: 40 Stevenson yeah, sort of thing. Yeah. If you're I'd be curious to see what type of change of pace Zeke would be in that Patriots backfield. And uh one of your favorite movies has been ruined. This Apparently. is actually
1: this is actually devastating.
0: I don't I don't okay, I have some things to say about this, but we'll get into it here. Uh you've probably heard of the movie uh The Blind Side. You've probably heard the story of Michael Orr, the former NFL tackle known for being the inspiration for the movie The Blind Side. He has filed a petition Monday in Tennessee probate court accusing the couple that adopted him. The twoies. The Tuies, Sean and Leanne. Tim McGraw and Sandra Bullock. of Of lying to him by having him sign papers, making him his conservators rather than his adoptive parents nearly two decades ago. in the petition filed in Shelby, Shelby County Court Orr asks for the conservation ship to be terminated along with asking for full accounting of the money earned off the use of his name and story. He asks to be paid what he is due along with interest, says that the Tui's enriched themselves at his expense by continuing to falsely and publicly represent themselves as his adoptive parents. Um, he says that they've made millions their kids made millions off of the movie off of the story and everything and he didn't see uh any of that
1: it's actually like it's actually like it, it now I'm there's two sides to every story apparently the 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 twoies haven't i was reading this espn's got the full article up uh and it's good it's good scoop by them but that's that's devastating news like this this uh th- this inspirational story from 15 years ago that everybody was on board for and maybe it was just a farce
0: okay so this is my immediate problem and i i will whatever the court decides uh-huh will be the the truth as it stands mike big mike you're how old now and why is this just coming up now
1: he just he just discovered it now you read the story. You, so
0: you've never bothered to look at any... This has gone on. This movie made millions of dollars. You would have stayed in contact with the Tuies and wow, you guys are doing really well over the years. It seems like life's going pretty well for you. Well, a few you things. You've never bothered to look at any of the paperwork ever? A few
1: things. So number one, it's, and it's kind of explained in the story. So number one... Uh, he was focused on his football career for the longest time. So really wasn't, he was really focused on, you know, what he played nine years in the NFL. So he was, he was really focused on his football career. So it wasn't as, and it was a lucrative football career. Sure. So it wasn't, wasn't as worried about some of the, uh, nitty gritty in that respect. Number two, he was trusting, right? Like he, he trusted these people and, um, it, it feels like there's a potential for, him having been misled and is there possible naivety on his part for sure? Absolutely. But doesn't change the fact that might've been misled. And it also feels like he's been straight up lied to because the, the two the, the couple portrayed by Tim McGraw and Sandra Bullock in the film, which I literally saw two weeks ago on the plane. (laughs) I was or three weeks ago on the plane. I was like, damn, I love this movie. This makes me cry all the time. Um, well, apparently they lied too, and said said that they didn't make much money off of it when it turns out this blockbuster that went that went for three or four hundred million dollars in gross revenue, they were making two and a half percent on on all of the home video sales, all of the fiat, and so they weren't necessarily forthcoming with it so it's all no offense, but he's still the guy that matters the most in the story if if all of a sudden you find out that well they lied to me said I was. Basically adopted, and then all of a sudden you felt misled. I'd be, uh, I'd be, I'd be sitting there with an axe to grind as well, and trying to get. I mine.
0: don't, I don't disagree. I just, I wonder as a guy. I think he's turning thirty-seven or thirty. I I can't remember now. I have it right in front of me. I should look. Thirty-seven. He turned thirty-seven in May. I just at at some point of of an NFL career where you were making good money and could have had. Seven-year NFL career. A lawyer. So. He started 110 games, won a Super Bowl with the Ravens. Yep. Um, I just, and look, maybe maybe he was overly trusting, and I'm sure that's been a situation for, for many, that people take advantage of people in that sense. But it's just, it's going to be one of those ones. It's going to ruin the movie either way. Well, it's already done. Movie's it's, ruined. I'm not going to watch it anymore. Tim McGraw's a lion and cheater and. Still loved him, but now he's portrayed a liar. I don't like that very much. I don't.
1: It's a it's Sandy a, B. It's a super.
0: It it it's got
1: some super troublesome, uh, super troublesome undertones to it. So I, uh, it was that was a very sad piece of news when I read it today. I was not very happy. with No. That.
0: Uh, let's finish up the segment, Pat. Uh, big weekend for the Jays off the field uh, with the Jose Bautista ceremony, going to the level of excellence. Uh, didn't exactly match it with performance on the field, at least uh, up until Sunday's game. Look we'll at get the latest on the Jays. Taylor Dingman's got today's Jays report. Time now
3: for the Jays report on Sportsnet 960. The fan here's Taylor Dingman.
4: On Friday, the Cubs came out. Winging two homers in the top of the first inning gave them an early 3-0 lead. They didn't stop there, adding on another three runs in the fourth to stretch their lead to 6 to nothing. But the Blue Jays weren't backing down. Kevin Biggio's single followed by Alejandro Kirks put the Jays on the scoreboard at 6-1. And despite Brandon Belt's late homer, the final score was 6-2 in favor of the Chicago Cubs. Saturday, the Blue Jays looked to rebound. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. opened the scoring for the Jays with an RBI single in the third. However, the Cubs responded with a strong fourth inning. Bellinger's RBI single and Swanson's three-run homer put the Cubs ahead 4-1. The Jays came back in the fifth with a Witt Merrifield two-run homer and a Santiago's ground rule double that tied it at four. But Christopher Morales' RBI double in the ninth sealed the win for the Cubs. Sunday marked the final showdown of the series. Ryu took the mound after uncertainty. And the Cubs got off to a quick start with Swanson's two-run double in the first inning. But the Blue Jays quickly answered back.
2: That's a high fly ball. Deep right field. That one's not coming back. That baby is long gone. And just like that, the Blue Jays are on top.
4: Dalton Varsho's home run combined with timely hits from Guerrero and Springer gave them a solid 5-2 lead. The Blue Jays continued to pour on the offense with a Varsho and Guerrero single, extending the lead to 8. Patrick Wisdom hit a two-run homer in the fifth. However, the Blue Jays remained relentless. Espinal, DeYoung, and Merrifield contributing to their commanding 11-4 victory. The Blue Jays will have an off day today before taking on the Phillies in a two-game set.
3: Catch the Blue Jays all season long right here on Calgary's home of the Blue Jays, Sportsnet 960 The Fan.
0: Thank you, Taylor. Appreciate that. Yes, an off day today for the Toronto Blue Jays before two at home against the Phillies. Some of your texts at 960-960. Lots of reaction to the blindside story, Pat. Could you say that Michael Orr has been blindsided by the Twoies? This one says, I don't know about this. This one says, This text says, Didn't the dad own a bunch of Taco Bells? Yeah, he Bells? did. Uh, that, that was, at least in the movie. Um, I, I don't Tui? I didn't actually Sean, know that. Sean,
1: Sean Tuey was a yeah. big Taco Bell entrepreneur in the movie. They uh, were a very well off family to begin with.
0: This one says, What? A Disney movie lying or stretching the truth and embellishing? Shocker. What's next? Remember, remember the Titans. They didn't actually do practices at 3 a.m. in Gettysburg. They sure, left.
1: they I, sure did sing in the shower, though. Ha! <laughs> huh. That's for do you. That, that's for Boomer. Sunshine. Boomer, sunshine. Lo- Boomer loves. Remember the Titans. Sunshine, sunshine. sunshine. Uh, who's sunshine. a bigger Deadbeat? No. Friday Night Lights. Tim McGraw or Blindside? Tim McGraw. Ooh. Because remember, in Friday Night Lights, he I was mean, the abusive father. I do. Yeah, you know, that's a good, that's a good fall movie. I actually, I, I actually, like, with nobody, is there anybody in that movie that has gone on to, like, a real career? I mean, Tim McGraw was already in it, but, like, of all the main characters in Friday Night Lights, who's gone uh, on to, like, having a, a really
0: solid Hollywood career? Didn't the girl, I can't remember her name now, I want to say the,
2: Connie Britton played N-
0: Tammy? Definitely did go on a major Hollywood career. Well, she she's it, she's she's on Nashville at least. Yeah. Like she White Lotus, a major Hollywood career is you're going to fight me that Nashville's a major Hollywood <laughs> no, career because I would, I, would, I would, but I would say I would that disagree.
1: She, uh, I guess Billy Bob
4: is apparently Michael B. Jordan.
1: Michael B. Jordan was in. Oh uh, yeah, apparently he was, as Vince
0: Howard. He is not billed on the main cast on Wikipedia. Mm.
4: He is on the Google cast. Actually, I think, I'm
0: going to say that blindside Tim McGraw was the bigger deadbeat. Well, now that we Hiding know this, his... now he's. Friday master- Night Lights Tim McGraw was just like trying to. Altruistic hero. Was trying to push his kid to be better at football. Like Billy,
1: Bo- Billy Bob was already established, established in Friday Night Lights. Connie Britton had been on TV a while, too, and now she's still on TV. Tim McGraw was an established country superstar at the time. But, like, I don't know.
0: Nobody else really did anything.
4: Really. Jesse Plemons was also in there. But
0: yeah, These, well, that these are with, bit roles. Speaking didn't of really go on to do anything.
4: His movie won an Oscar.
0: His movie?
1: Mm. Jesse Plemons. Isn't he was that, in uh, it. Isn't that Todd from Breaking Bad?
2: Yeah, I think so. Is.
1: Yeah.
0: Maybe uh, the biggest psychopath. Ryan Gosling in, was in Remember the Titans history. for that texture. Yes, and Remember the Titans, lots of people have. Oh, yeah, huge careers. Yeah, Matt and Cochran, Al Pacino, any given Sunday, not. Uh, this one says the quarterback was in 42. Like the Jackie Robinson movie? Yep. Hmm. Disappointing. Better movie, Friday Night Lights or The Blind Side? Friday night lights especially now someone saying that Garrett Headland counts I don't
1: I know, know if that's true like I, I was like I kind of recognize that name and I'm looking through the movies and I don't know he was in Tron like like I don't know like anyway. you should go to break
0: no yeah, I probably should but... <laughs> eventually
1: that's just, that's just my veteran
0: <laughs> advice I'll think about it
1: Yes, and uh, as uh, somebody texted on my my personal phone, mm. Jesse Fleming is married to Kirsten Dunst. He's he is big, quite. Really, real. you didn't know that? No, he's quite. He's quite like he's he's a he's probably the biggest household name, him or Michael B.
0: Jordan. I did not know that Jesse. Flemons but again, was those guys were bit roles. I didn't even know they were in the movie. No, that was fun, Pat. nice to have you back. Good to see you. He just married Kirsten Dunst in 2022, by the way. Yes, but they've so been dated, dating quite a long time. I long. know that. Good for him. Um, you got Flamestock next. I do. Is that exciting? Yeah. Back at it? forward to it.
1: Yeah. A little, little, little off-season limited time engagement of uh, Flamestock. A couple weeks, then off for a week, and then back and at back it forever. ready to go for the rest of the season after Labor Day.
0: Love it. Uh, fun hour with you, Patty. We'll do it again tomorrow. All right, buddy. Uh, for Cam and Taylor, outstanding producers here on Sportsnet today. Thanks to John Hodge for joining us. Thank you for listening live or on the text line for texting in at 960-960. We appreciate you. Flamestock is back. It's next. Steinberg, Vickers, good you with Flamestock for the next hour right here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.